It was a bombshell moment in the biggest American political scandal ever. Federal grand jury indicts seven Nixon aides on charges of conspiracy on Watergate. Haldeman, Ehrlichman, Mitchell on list, declared the front page banner headline in the New York Times. It was March 1, 1974, and Special Prosecutor Leon Jaworski, who had taken over for the fired Archibald Cox less than six months earlier, had finally hit pay dirt. Mitchell, President Nixon's former Attorney General, Haldeman, his ex-Chief of Staff, and Ehrlichman, his former Chief Domestic Advisor, were all accused of multiple crimes, lying to Congress and the FBI, conspiring to pay hush money and obstruct justice. What was not known at the time, and wasn't revealed until months later, is there was a secret part of the indictment naming President Nixon himself as an unindicted co-conspirator. Why unindicted? And why was it kept from the public? We'll explore those questions and what they could mean for Robert Mueller's Russia investigation on today's Buried Treasure. I'm Michael Isikoff. Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. You know, Danny, uh, I know uh, folks like you are too young to actually remember all this, but um, somebody like myself in college uh, at the time, a total Watergate junkie, uh, this was a real seminal moment in the Watergate saga. It had been playing out for, you know, Nearly a year, more than a year, actually, before that, the Senate Watergate hearings, the Saturday Night Massacre. But when you had actual indictments of the top aides to the president of the United States, it became clear this wasn't going to end. It was going to go forward. It was real. It was big, and President Nixon himself was clearly in the sights of the special prosecutor. All right. First of all, Isikoff, it is true that I was, uh, I think, like in fifth grade Were you alive? when this was happening. Uh, but my father at the time was a reporter at the Washington Post, uh, and um, he used to bring me down to the newsroom where I would see Woodward and Bernstein. So, like, I was immersed in Watergate, maybe not to the extent that you were. Uh, what were you? Were you in college then? Yeah, I was in college. Actually, a few months later, when the tapes came out. Um, so I was kind of closer. Buddy. I was kind of closer to the story than you were, actually, in some ways. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, maybe I don't know. I was about to say, you know, when the tapes came out um, uh, in college, I and my buddies were reenacting them. Somebody would play Haldeman, another guy would play <laughs> Ehrlichman. You know, uh, I like to play Nixon myself, but um, uh, it was, you know, the, the point is we were all steeped in it. But um, look, it was quite serious that um, this indictment was brought, you know, the House Judiciary Committee had begun impeachment proceedings. But what we didn't know at the time was this whole backstory, back drama of the uh, naming of Nixon as an unindicted co-conspirator. Um, that actually wasn't revealed until uh, June of that year, uh, 1974, uh, when um, our uh, old colleagues from the Los Angeles Times broke the story. Uh, and um, it, it was at that point that um, uh, Nixon himself was thrust directly into um, the Watergate, the, the central Watergate 
case. I th- yeah, I think um, it was right around the time uh, that um, the arguments were going on in the Supreme Court um, to release um, the the White House um, the White House tapes, right? Um, right. In uh, right. in seventy four, um, and what a lot of people. Uh, well, I want to get to the point about um, uh, why uh, the Watergate special prosecutor. Um, and the Watergate grand jury handed up that uh, indictment naming Nixon as an unindicted co-conspirator. But it is worth— Although not publicly. Not, not publicly, publicly right. As I, it was, right, a that's right. secret codicil to the uh, indictment naming him as a Watergate co-conspirator. And we actually discussed this the other day uh, when we uh, talked to Phil Lacavora, who was uh, a uh, the senior counselor to— the um, uh, to the Watergate special prosecutor, and um, he kind of explained some of the thinking uh, behind it. Did you and your colleagues believe it was going to result in the removal of the president of the United States? One of the key uh, issues in, uh, in trying to do the brainstorming about what the consequences would be would be how we dealt with the president himself. As I mentioned earlier in the conversation, uh, my staff and I uh, concluded and recommended, as I think virtually all of the lawyers in the office agreed, that there was no constitutional impediment to uh, indicting President Nixon as a co-conspirator in the cover-up. Because there was already at the time a pending active House impeachment inquiry the decision was made not to push the issue at that point uh, and really complicate uh, the trial of the other uh, co-defendants. And so the grand jury uh, decided uh, to name President Nixon as an unindicted co-conspirator. That was something that was first revealed uh, when we were arguing the case to the Supreme Court and we, we emphasize that fact uh, in arguing why the president should not be allowed to claim executive privilege to withhold the tapes. So we understood that uh, the fact that the president's senior White House aides were being charged at, explicitly as defendants and that the president was being alleged to be, have been an unindicted criminal co-conspirator with them could have... Uh, dramatic effects on the president's tenure. But at the time, going up right until the uh, impending release of the smoking gun tape, it was also understood that there were very ardent uh, Republicans, not only on the House Judiciary Committee, which were not going to be sufficient to block impeachment, but more important, uh, ardent Republican senators who would essentially lie across the railroad tracks to prevent conviction and removal from office uh, by the Senate. Uh, And as we know from the the Clinton uh, acquittal, two-thirds, even after impeachment by the House, uh, uh, an indicted president, uh, excuse me, an impeached president, uh, remains in office unless two-thirds of the Senate vote to convict him and remove him. Uh, It was only when the uh, smoking gun tape was revealed, something we did not have access to at the time of the indictments, uh, that the president's political situation in the impeachment process became untenable. So, Mike, that's fascinating. And I'm trying to understand 
what it is exactly that Lacavara is is trying to say there? Is he saying that uh, because uh, Nixon still had uh, a significant amount of political support, particularly in the Senate, uh, that uh, by going public, publicly indicting uh, Nixon um, uh, or even may, uh, that, that 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 would just be too controversial and the, and the blowback would be harmful to uh, uh, to the special prosecutor? What's he saying? I mean, that seems to be exactly what he's saying, uh, and that's the first time I've ever heard that articulated, uh, actually, uh, that basically for political reasons, the Watergate special prosecutors uh, held back uh, uh, making public uh, the identification of Nixon and naming Nixon himself as part of the conspiracy. And you know what's fascinating um, about that? It, we're talking. This is ju- what June of ninety or so, March well, the of ninety. Indictment 19- is brought in, okay. in, in, in the at the beginning of March. March in March of nineteen seventy four. Yeah. Uh, the break in uh, was in uh, in seventy. In seventy two, June, June of seventy two. Yeah. So you're, we're two years into the, uh, you know, almost two years into the uh, Watergate uh, story, Watergate scandal, um, and Richard Nixon still has considerable support uh, in the Congress. And the uh, the thinking at that time is that while he may be impeached in the House, he is very unlikely to be to be uh, convicted in the in the Senate. And I think um, most people just don't remember how long it took uh, for this drama to play out in the way that it did, and that all the way well into 1974, uh, people did not think that Nixon was going to have to leave office. Um, Exactly. Uh, And, uh, you know, clearly there are parallels uh, to today in the sense of having uh, the, uh, the, that rock-ribbed Republican support in the Senate, uh, in the Congress, really, uh, was, um, was a barrier to what the special prosecutor wanted to do. Now, you can uh, find uh, the same scenario today with the rock-rib Republican support, especially in the House, for uh, President Trump. Uh, now, of course, we haven't had the uh, a big Mueller indictment naming top aides to the president uh, uh, like we did in Watergate, like this story that we're talking about. We, have, we, we you know we're not there yet, but as, assuming that Mueller's got something coming, and there does seem to be uh, uh, a widespread belief that something is coming from him this summer. Um, you know, it does raise the question, no matter what it is, would Republican leaders, like they did during Watergate, um, abandon the president? Uh, remember, uh, once that smoking du- gun tape came out, you know, Barry Goldwater and others, uh, you, Scott, who I think was the Republican minority leader at the time, you know, all let it be known, went to the White House, told the president, uh, you can't survive. Um, it's hard to imagine at this point um, Republican leaders in Congress doing the same with Donald Trump. Well, a couple of things. Um, first of all, uh, the, uh, the Democrat, Democrats controlled the Congress uh, when Richard Nixon was going through this. Now Republicans right. control Congress, and they control both ends of Pennsylvania Avenue. Uh, so that provides less incentive to Republicans for Republicans to sort of stand up 
um, and, um, and and take strong action against against a sitting president. Um, there are other uh, differences. I mean, uh, the media uh, environment and and the levels of you know sort of partisanship in this country um, you know really shifted, um, changing the kind of political complexion in significant ways. You don't have uh, uh, you know fake news and Fox News and and uh, you didn't have fake news and Fox News and Twitter uh, that just kind of um, you know, uh, reaffirmed um, and validated uh, the views of, of, you know, the, the base of the Republican Party. Um, and so that's, that's different. Although I will say, um, you know, there was, uh, even back uh, when, when Nixon was president, uh, you know, Republicans and conservatives did go after the, the Eastern establishment, the liberal media, especially Kay Graham's Washington Post. Um, and there was nobody better uh, than Nixon at doing what Donald Trump does very well right now, which is to stoke anger and cultural resentment. Um, in fact, I was just reading um, in, in one of the stories about, uh, about that period that Trent Lott, um, who later became um, a Republican majority leader, was a freshman congressman at that time, and he was lambasting Archibald Cox as a liberal and a Kennedy Democrat. Um, so some of those same um, kind of um, atmospherics existed back then, but not like they do now. So I, I think we're in a very right. different um, uh, kind of uh, atmosphere. Exactly. But also on the prosecutorial side, it's, it's worth uh, uh, exploring a little bit uh, the, uh, the use of the uh, uh, unindicted co-conspirator card. Um, that's fairly unusual in a high-profile case involving a high-profile uh, defendant. Um, uh, not unprecedented, but it's worth noting that in the U.S. Attorney's Manual itself, um, uh, the practice is frowned upon uh, for the simple reason that you can name somebody publicly as an unindicted co-conspirator, uh, but you're suggesting they committed a crime, but they don't have the opportunity to defend to, themselves. Uh, to, to defend themselves. I think and the. It, I think actually, I. I called up the uh, U.S. Attorney's Manual on this very issue, and it says, in the absence of some significant justification, federal prosecutors generally should not. Identify unindicted co-conspirators in conspiracy indictments. And I think, Mike, um, I think that was actually the case. I don't know if that was in the U.S. Attorney's Manual at the time, but it was. Uh, it, it, it was the case when uh, when Jaworski did this, when the Watergate uh, grand jury uh, did this, um, that it was only uh, to happen in kind of rare instances, and you needed that that uh, legal justification. And I think in that case, what they were trying to do was get Nixon's out-of-court uh, statements into the trial, and that they had to kind of pull that legal maneuver to get his statements admissible uh, in the actual trial. So I think it would, what you're saying is, is exactly right. It would be, I think, very controversial uh, for uh, Mueller uh, to do the same thing. I think it's unlikely. I think he's going to be uh, very careful not to stray from kind of Justice Department right. tradition. Well, this gets to the um, uh, you know the point I've made before, uh, which uh, Lacavora, when we talked to him, kind of dismissed. But the idea of uh, uh, that Mueller, if he chooses to 
write a report rather than indict the president for, say, obstruction of justice, um, the degree to which he can go uh, reaching conclusions about uh, uncharged conduct. Um, can he uh, write uh, a report that says we believe there's uh, grounds for obstruction of justice if he's not going to charge the president with obstruction of justice? And more significantly, I think, even if he were to put that in a report to Rod Rosenstein, given Rod Rosenstein's really hardline view uh, that Comey crossed the line when he did that in his uh, July press statement on the Hillary Clinton case, uh, whether Rosenstein would feel he could release publicly release a report that implies, suggests, or even concludes that uh, Donald Trump obstructed justice if Robert Mueller is not going to charge him with obstruction of justice. Yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting point, uh, one that I actually have not heard um, expressed, I, I, I guess. Except um, by me. Except by you, yeah. Uh, yes, I, 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 I guess Mueller's um, defense would be, well, um, since— um, since I'm not able to indict uh, a sitting president, but there is a considerable public interest um, in in people knowing uh, that the president uh, the president's conduct uh, was criminal in nature, um, if if that's what he finds out, then there is an overriding um, kind of um, uh, imperative uh, to to make that to make that public. But as you point out, that's going to be a uh, a question that uh, that Rod Rosenstein is going to have to grapple with, and um, it's very hard to know uh, what he will do. I think it'll depend on the circumstances. I think it'll depend on how serious and how grave um, the uh, the allegations are, um, if if those actually come to be. I just want to actually go back to one of our earlier points um, about um, how long Watergate took in comparison to. Um, uh, to to where we are now in the in the Mueller in investigation, and everyone remembers sort of in the popular imagination, Watergate uh, was this kind of morality tale with these uh, clear villains and white-hatted heroes, and among them were Republicans of high conscience like Barry Goldwater, you mentioned, and some of the others um, who were willing to put. Uh, country over party. But my favorite thing um, in, in looking back at some of these old stories um, is that one of the heroes, as you'll recall, was Howard Baker, who was this courtly senator from uh, Republican senator from Tennessee. Um, what did the president know and when did he know it? Exactly. Uh, that was the iconic quote from from uh, from Howard uh, uh, Baker. But what people don't remember is that uh, the Nixon White House was actually very happy uh, when um, when Howard uh, Baker um, uh, took on that role for the, the Senate hearings, they thought that he would uh, protect uh, Nixon, and for a while he did. Um, he said, "Well, I'm not. We're going to keep this these hearings from turning into a spectacle." And when he uttered that phrase, "What did the president know, and when did he know it?" He actually was defending Richard Nixon. That was in uh, uh, John Dean's testimony. He asked that question. It was an earnest question. It was not uh, uh, interpreted at the time as what it what it now in sort of Watergate lore has has come to mean. Um, and um, people just don't remember that. And it took quite a while before Howard Baker actually uh, turned against the president. He ultimately did, and deserves credit uh, for standing up and putting um, 
uh, country uh, over over party and over his own uh, personal political interests, although he did fine um, himself. A lot of other Republicans were thrown out in the wake, wake right. of Watergate. But it's just an interesting kind of side note of history uh, that what Howard Baker did at the time was um, – uh, uh, you know, very different from from how we've come to understand that phrase. You know, you uh, drew the ti- uh, the, uh, uh, the the raised the question of the parallel of timing between Watergate and uh, the Russia scandal, uh, and um, it is uh, kind of interesting. It was uh, the Watergate break in was in June of 1972, an election year, and uh, by August of 1974, just a little more than two years later, Richard Nixon resigns as president. Uh, The uh, news of the DNC break-in by the Russians came in June of 2016. Uh, uh, We are now uh, uh, a little past two years uh, uh, from that date. and uh, if uh, history were to repeat itself exactly, uh, the apocalyptic moment for Donald Trump would be uh, early August of this summer. Um, did I hear you say you were going on vacation in August? <laughs> yes, I, I'm going to try to go on vacation in August. But hey, you know, there's, uh, there's modern technology. Wherever I am, I'll be able to do um, skullduggery, I promise. We We will track you down wherever you are in the globe. All right. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Buried Treasure. Don't forget, you can subscribe to Skullduggery on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And also, tell us what you think. Leave a review. We'll talk to you on Friday. 